Please open a Bible with me to Psalm 146. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you could pull it up probably on the device that's in your pocket or purse. Or you can turn to the center of the bulletin where the central stanza, the main section of our psalm is printed. This spring, we're looking at the distinctive behaviors and beliefs of the church in the earliest centuries of the Christian hope, the Christian faith. Because becoming a Christian would radically disrupt every part of your life, your job, your relationships, your family. It sets you apart, being a Christian, from those around you. We've looked at the topic of sexual ethics, sanctity of life, caring for the poor and the suffering. We'll consider as we continue this spring multi-ethnic diversity and radical forgiveness. We saw a couple of weeks ago, Micah, the prophet, demanded that we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly. We return to that theme of caring for the vulnerable, those made by God, made in the image of God, those who are cared for by God. I'm going to read all of Psalm 146. This is Psalm 146, verses 1 through 10. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's come now to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the hope of your gospel. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us through the work of Jesus, our Savior, through the reading of your word, that we would be reminded of the grace that is ours in Jesus Christ. Father, we give you praise through Jesus for the power of your gospel. Lord, we come asking that you would give faith to those who do not yet have it, that you would convict us as we follow after you, that we would see our sin, we would turn from sin and find our hope in you. You, O Lord, are our help. You, O Lord, are our only hope. As we come praying in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. We all love the underdog, the story of unexpected victory, the team from that small school that advances deep into the tournament, that less recognized name, nabbing the award, walking onto the stage shell-shocked that, that she will hold the trophy when, when, when so many others were, were put up alongside her. We all love the underdog. 
the unexpected talent rising from humble circumstances, the valedictorian who had overcome homelessness, the child born in poverty who makes it into the Ivy League. We all love the underdog. As long as their suffering doesn't cost us anything. We all love the underdog as long as they win. We don't really like it when they know pain and frustration. Yeah, they might make a run toward victory, but eventually they run into a true champion. Eventually the dust settles and they're still just an underdog. We all love the underdog unless we are the underdog. Then we know pain and frustration. The long odds, the sleepless nights, the hunger in our stomach. Psalm 146 begins the crescendo of these, this final gathering of psalms in the book of Psalms. Psalm 146 through 150 are the hallelujah psalms. They both begin and end with that word, with that phrase, praise the Lord. Each of these psalms reminding us, and and when we saw this weeks ago when we looked at Psalm 150, the, the conclusion to the entire book of psalms. These psalms remind us that that we can give praise to God wherever we are. And, And Psalm 146 tells us something about who God is. He is the God who cares for the underdog. He is the God who protects the vulnerable. He's the God who feeds the hungry, who guarantees justice, cares for the weak. When we look at our stanza that's printed in your order of worship, Psalm 146, verses 5 through 9. We, we have a, the, the, the final beatitude in the book of Psalms. It, it, look at verse 5. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. More than two dozen times through the Psalms, there is a beatitude, a, a blessing, a, 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 almost a stock phrase. Blessed is the one, or blessed are the people, or blessed is he And it begins right at the very opening words of the the Psalter. Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Chapter 2 of this book, Blessed are all who take refuge in God's Son. Or you hear it in Psalm 32, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's more than a hashtag, blessed. It's a promise from God that, that if, if, if you are one who has put your trust in God, then you are one who has received blessing from God. You are one who, who will understand what it is to live a life of happiness and wholeness, a life of flourishing, a life well-lived, a life that's, that, that shows forth the glory of God. And, and what does verse 5 say? Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. A reminder to us of, of Jacob, the, the father of the people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A reminder that God steps into history, who acts with us really in history. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. God is our help. God is our hope. 
And, and, and th- these verses are, are set in, in, in stark contrast to what, what I read, which came right before it. Put not your trust in princes, in, the, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. See, this is a psalm about the justice of God, about the kingship of God, about the kingdom of God, where everything will be made right. And, and the people may have been tempted to look for a, a political or military solution, to look for the king. And, and, and think of it, in the nation of Israel, in the nation of Judah, it was God's own man on the throne. And so if anybody should be pursuing the heart of God, wouldn't it be the king? Wouldn't it be the princes? And, and yet the, psalm, the psalmist says, put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. But in contrast, we have the promise, the beatitude, blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. It is God alone who saves. Salvation comes from God alone. He is the only one who can truly help, the only one in whom you can find real and meaningful hope. And and initially, I know this sounds like a very narrow kind of statement, an exclusive kind of statement to say that, that there is no other path to salvation. And yet it's a generous and welcoming statement. Don't put your trust in the things of this world. Don't put your trust in the, in the great men and women of this world. Put your trust in God. That's a promise given to all of us. A, an invitation extended to each one of us that it is God who can save. God who can rescue us. And who is this God? The, the rest of the stanza tells us about God. God is the one who can save us. He is our help and our hope. And then verses 6, 7, 8, and 9 describe God for us. Look at verse 6. God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. Don't put your trust in the people of this world. Don't put your trust in the systems of this world. Don't put your trust in the powers of this world. Put your trust in God, who made everything in this world. So you're, you've spent your time seeking and searching the greatest, the most powerful, but you've overlooked the fact that you're, you, you're, you're looking in the wrong place. You've ignored the truth that, that you're chasing after greatness, but in this world. Put your trust in the God who made this world, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. He is the creator. He is the one who, as verse 6 continues, who keeps faith forever. See, God has saved us, and he continues to care for us. God is faithful to us now and forever. It's not that God is merely a benefactor who shows up to to make us right, to, to rescue us from sin, and then disappears. No, he is the God of Jacob. He is the God who keeps faith forever. He is the God who is with us. He's not merely a benefactor. He is the Father who loves us and cares for us. He is the God who brings, verse 7 tells us, true justice. The true king whose kingdom brings justice for the oppressed. The God who gives food to the hungry. So when we think of those in power, we we in the ancient world might be tempted to think of, of those who have accumulated for themselves who've accumulated great wealth so that they could throw a great banquet, that they could show forth their greatness among other great people. But what does a a true king look like? Well, God tells us who he is. He's the God who executes justice for the oppressed. 
See, justice for the powerful is easy to come by. They have enough elbow room to, to, to find justice for themselves in most cases. The oppressed, who don't even have a voice often, they're the ones whom God will protect. Those that have full refrigerators and stocked cabinets. And thankfully, you're not even worried anymore about stocking your, your paper towels or, or toilet paper. You have everything you need. But there are those who are hungry. God is the one who cares for those that are weak and broken. Julio Diaz follows the same routine each night. Julio's a social worker, and he ends his hour-long subway commute to the Bronx one stop before his apartment because he wants to eat at his favorite diner. One night, as he stepped off the number six train, a teenage boy approaches him on the, the empty platform with a knife and demands his money. And so Julio calmly takes out his wallet and hands it to the boy. But as the teenager turns to run, Julio calls after him, Hey, hey, wait a minute. You forgot something. If you're going to be robbing people the rest of the night, you might as well take my coat to keep warm. And Julio hands this boy his coat. Hey, what's going on? The kid wants to know. Julio answers, If you're willing to risk your freedom for a few dollars then I guess you must really need the money. I mean, all I was going to do was, was grab dinner. Hey, why don't you join me? You're more than welcome. So this perplexed teenager follows Julio into the diner. The manager greets him by name. The waitresses all know who he is. Even the, the dishwasher comes out from back to, to catch up with Julio. The, the boy wonders, do you own this place? I mean, you know everybody here. <laughs> no, I just, I just come here a lot. But you're even nice to the kid washing dishes. Well, weren't you taught to be nice to others? Well, yeah, but I didn't think people actually acted like that. So Julio asks his guests, what do you, what do you want out of life? The kind of question that only uh, maybe a, a social worker could ask a kid sitting across the table from him. But he can't answer. He doesn't have an answer. Or maybe, maybe he doesn't want to answer. The, when, the, when the bill arrives, Julio tells him, hey, look, you're going to have to pay because you have my wallet. I don't have any money. But if you give me my wallet back, then I'll gladly pay for dinner. The boy turns over the wallet, hands it back, and even slides his knife across the table before he leaves. Julio saw injustice through the eyes of compassion. If you're willing to risk your freedom for a few dollars, then you must need the money more than me. Now, this is not a likely strategy for you if, if somebody robs you with a, a weapon. But maybe the... The attitude, the heart attitude of Julio is one that we should show. Respond by caring for the vulnerable, by feeding the hungry, by taking care of, of the needs of the person right in front of us. 
Because that's who God is. God, verse 7 of Psalm 146, he is the God who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. It, It continues, the Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. As the psalmist gives praise to God for who he is, we begin to see the miraculous work of God. Not merely bringing about temporal justice, not merely filling stomachs with food, but God who can set prisoners free, who can open the eyes of the blind. And when Jesus arrives, this is the ministry that Jesus claims for himself. Because this language of the prisoner, of the blind, of the vulnerable, is the language that Jesus announces. You can turn, if you have your Bible with you, to the Gospel of Luke. In in Luke chapter 4, we have Jesus beginning his ministry. He's in Nazareth, the town in which he was raised. He goes into the synagogue, and and in verse 17, as, as he stands to read, this is what we read. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 17. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And you can hear the echo of Isaiah's words in our psalm, Psalm 146. Good news to the poor, liberty to captives, recovery of sight to the blind, care for the oppressed. And in Luke chapter 4, we continue. Jesus, having read these words from Isaiah the prophet, verse 20 of Luke 4, and Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So the God who we praise from a distance in Psalm 146 the one who sets the prisoners free, the one who opens the eyes of the blind, is the God who arrives in the Gospel of Luke. When Jesus stands and says, I am the Lord's anointed, I am the King who has come to bring this justice, then we have the hope of the Gospel here. Jesus came as the King. Jesus came to bring justice. Jesus came to make the world right. But how does he do it? Not merely by talking about it. He actually gives sight to the blind. He announces good news to the poor. And then he goes to the cross in your place. It's because when we read Psalm 146, we might be thinking about other people that would need this kind of king. The the oppressed, well, yes, they need God to step in and help them. The hungry, yes, they need God's help. The prisoner, of course, they need God's help. But don't you see, when Jesus stands and reads from the prophet, when Jesus announces what he's saying to everyone who sits before him, even the most religious in the synagogue of his hometown, he says, you are the oppressed. You are the weak. You are the poor. You are the vulnerable. Without the help of God, you could not save yourselves. And then Jesus, the Savior, goes to the cross. He put himself in our place. Jesus, the King of heaven and earth, the Creator, made himself nothing. 
and become obedient to death, even death on a cross. The king gave his life for us. And so when we read in Psalm 146 that the Lord loves the righteous, we need not fear that, that we are not righteous in ourselves. Because, of course, that's what we ha- are forced to admit when we're honest, when we look at God's word, that we are not those who are righteous, but that we have been made righteous in Christ. You heard it from 2 Corinthians in our assurance of forgiveness that Jesus became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, the king himself has given his life for you. Psalm 146 continues. What kind of God do we give praise to? What kind of God is the one who blesses us? Who is our hope and our help? Verse 9, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. That triumvirate of the sojourner, the widow, and the fatherless are repeated throughout the Old Testament as those who are the most vulnerable, those who are defenseless, without family to protect or care for them, without laws to, 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 to bring righteousness. And yet God, when he gives his people the law, he explicitly tells them, this is what you must do to care for the sojourner. This is what you must do to care for the widow, to care for the fatherless. Because the law of God tells us we must protect the least of these. Because that's who God is. The commands of God reveal what matters most to God. God is the one who protects the weak and the vulnerable. If you visited Beryl Lankford's home, you'd quickly notice all the pictures. I mean, pictures of babies everywhere. They're the pictures of the children from foster care whom Beryl and his wife Leanna cared for. When he's asked, well, how many babies was it? He says, oh, it it was more than 100. Actually, he and his wife over 36 years cared for 173 children in Texas. He explains, it started back in January in 1976, Because his wife, a a social worker who is familiar with the the needs of the most vulnerable children in their community, she asked her husband and her two children to invest their lives in caring for children with the goal of reunifying them with their birth families shortly after they were approved as, as resource parents, as foster parents. They will receive the placement of their first baby and then another baby. And he says, then from then on, it was just baby after baby. He's, he's peppered with questions. Was it expensive? How did, you, how did you even get around? Like, how did you transport kids from, from place to place? How did, how did anyone ever sleep? And he admits it was busy at times when they would have more than one child in their home and, and they would have to go to the, the parent-teacher conferences of their older children. They would, they would each have to take a baby into those meetings. They would have to coordinate frequent hospital visits for the children who came into their home with sickness. They would have the challenge of scheduling visits with birth families. Burrell admits there were tears, especially those moments when they said goodbye, placing a child back into the arms of his mother. When asked if he ever second-guessed their decision, 
And he says, well, no. And actually, if my wife were still alive, we'd probably still have babies in this house. We hope we made a difference. We don't know, but we hope we did. The Lord watches over the sojourner. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Maybe we just stop there. You'd walk out feeling pretty good, encouraged, reminded of the grace of God. See, we all love the underdog, as long as it doesn't cost me anything to root for them. Maybe God is telling you it's time to move your family into a place where you can care for the most vulnerable in our neighborhoods. Maybe you've been resisting the call that God is is pressing upon you to leave the comfort of the neighborhood in which you live and go to the far edges of the, the globe with the message of Jesus Christ. Maybe God wants you to walk out of here and sell your most treasured possession so that you can give money to the poor. Maybe God wants to disrupt the comfortable private bedroom arrangements you have for your kids at home so that you could welcome a child in need. See, actually, when we read Psalm 146, yes, it should bring us comfort, but it should cause us, it it, it should upend our, our comfortable lives. We should be comforted in the fact that we, the weak and the vulnerable, find God the creator of heaven and earth, to be our hope and our help. And yet, it should pull the rug out from under us when we say, oh, but, but comfort was my goal. God executes justice for the oppressed. Maybe the career path you've chosen is one that, that only gathers for yourself. Maybe God is telling you to quit and care for the weak and vulnerable. Maybe as you buy groceries for yourself, you can think of those in great need. Maybe this week you need to be down at the Sunday breakfast mission volunteering among our neighbors without homes. The Lord sets the prisoners free. He opens the eyes of the blind. See, we love the underdog unless it costs us too much. And yet, Jesus Christ gave his life for you. What's too much for him to ask from you? The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Father in heaven, we give you praise. We lift our voices with the psalmist. We shout, praise the Lord, O my soul. We thank you that you are the God who reigns forever. God, you are the King, our Savior, our Rescuer. And so, Lord, I pray that you would comfort those that are weary this morning in the hope of your word. But, Lord, that you would disrupt those of us who are comfortable. That we would see the depth of your love for us. And we would be willing to give our lives to serve in your kingdom. Father in heaven, we thank you for the grace that is ours through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, Lord, I pray that as we come to the table of Christ, as we are reminded of the depth of his love, Lord, that we would be strengthened 
in new obedience to follow after you. We come praying in Jesus' name. Amen.